Hi there, my name's Ushin Lunny and welcome to Audio Talks presented to you by Harman. And this episode, we're going to take a look through the keyhole into the world of home studios and find out, can you hear the difference when something is recorded at home? What role does the equipment play and how can you start your own studio? To help us address the big questions for small spaces, I'm thrilled to be joined by a pair of audio experts who would know their way around any studio on the planet, large or small. Welcome to the podcast, Damien Curry, Global Product Manager for AKG and JBL Professional at Harman, and also a musician and one of an elite team of composers for film and TV. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me on. This is, uh, this is pretty awesome. And welcome to the podcast, Robbie Dunn, studio design veteran, experienced pro audio buyer, home and project studio build advisor and recording artist, and also co-founder of IDYR. Welcome, Robbie. Great to be here. Thanks very much. So let's start with a bit of background now. You've both moved from major league recording studios to more home-based setups in different ways. What's been your path from those massive control rooms with flying fader desks and walls of outboard to home and project studio session, uh, setups? Excuse me. So uh, it's time for your origin stories and we'll start with yourself, Damien. That's great. Uh, yeah, so I started off as a guitar player, you know, playing in garage bands and, and uh, you know, when, when you actually had to physically play in garage bands. <laughs> I started playing and in, in, uh, not too long after that, I started playing in church choirs and that kind of transitioned into recording my own music, recording guitar for uh, other people. And that's where my introduction to the studio was essentially just moving from from being a guitar player and playing on sessions. Uh, what I found was there was a time when getting into a recording studio, and it's still like this, but you couldn't record anything decent for you know less than a hundred bucks an hour. Oh, yeah. uh, and obviously that came with the engineer and you know all the expertise of the studio cats. And I think in the mid two thousands, when Pro Tools and different interfaces started to be released with good sample rates and whatnot, people started to transition to recording from home. Also combined with that was when computer technology became you know, a lot cheaper to buy a decent computer uh, and record at home. That's when it all really started to shift. Yeah, absolutely. And you've been kind of seeing that from a perspective of a musician and also a, a composer as well. And Robbie, coming over to yourself, I suspect uh, studio cats and guitars might feature a bit in your origin story. So what's been your path as a musician into the big studios and then more into working in project and home setups? So my path's very, very similar to Damien's. So I also was a guitar player in various bands. And, and it was always a case of uh, the home recording thing. It was really more down to economics of, of the projects I was being offered at the time. Uh, yeah. Coming off playing gigs and being a song uh, part of the songwriting team for various bands I was in. I, I'm sure, as you remember back then, decent recording studio. It was about 2,000 quid a day, which yeah. considering that was the 80s, that's like an astronomic <laughs> it was the price of a car per day. Um, you know, and then as David said, the home the home audio revolution kind of started in, in that kind of early 90s when samplers start appearing and sort of desks that did like sound actually okay, had usable EQ, um, hard disk recording start becoming available. You know, you had your old, the classic Atari running all your sequences. So, so home recording actually became a possibility because really you had prior to that, a very two-tiered studio setup. You had those kind of very projecty studios built around things like, you know, Fostex R8s and E16s, which, yeah. you know, you may as well be recording onto a cassette tape, really, at the end of the day. The, the, the gauge was yeah. so narrow, you know. You're, oh, my God, so true. You're, you're fitting, yeah, even, I remember a friend of mine bought a, a, an eight-track <laughs> cassette recorder. So imagine the bandwidth on that thing. And the, cross, oh, the crosstalk was crazy. It was absolutely unusable. But once 
hard disk recorders came along, like the Akai boxes that came out with a roll of them. They totally revolutionized. And then obviously things like, you know, DAWs once computers caught up. Um, oh, yeah. That totally, totally changed the market. I've always used big studios, though, in tandem because there's certain things you can't really do in home studios, mm-hmm. uh, like record strings or record drums really well, or mixing or especially mastering. There's those kind of final stage processes. But generally, I kind of run the two in tandem. If it's recording guitars or tracking vocals or programming, it just makes complete sense to do those things at home. And then if you do need you know, the big Led Zeppelin drum sound or a string quartet, there's only really one way of doing that, and that's having mm-hmm. a, a physical space to record it in. I think one of my first recorders was the Sony mini disc, four track mini disc player or recorder. And it was, you know, this was probably the mid nineties or whenever that was. You realize then like you aspire to have the sound that you hear on all these records. And then you start recording. You're like, wait, why doesn't this sound like these records? And then you start, that takes you down a whole other path of, well, they yeah. use the mixing desk. Well, what's a mixing desk? What's a mic preamp? And that leads yeah. to this whole discovery mission of trying to like capture. So the trajectory of trying to record you record at home and then you just find out that you have to be in a big studio you have to be somewhere that costs you know an arm and a leg and that's just not the case anymore oh my word absolutely i remember those days everything was expensive time consuming didn't always work but now we are in this age of advanced technology computer recordings digital audio workstations beautiful audio in outs you know all the good stuff that you can get into a bedroom studio is just phenomenal and uh, in fact, as some of our listeners might be aware, Billie Eilish famously recorded vocals for her album in her brother Phineas's bedroom. So, you know, Robbie, do you think that home recordings are the new normal or does it kind of work in parallel or how, how have things changed in terms of consumers and their reaction to stuff recorded at home? Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the reality is now is that the quality of digital recording, even on a tiny budget, it's amazing. You know, mm, like most yeah. interfaces now, like literally every interface in the market, not unless you're going to go for something unbelievably cheap, but anything yeah. above even a hundred pounds now, you can get proper recordings. You, you could you present them as a record. The real challenge is, and I think this is the, where the Billy Eilish case study or whatever you want to call it is interesting is yeah, it was all recorded in their bedroom. And I think they used like, you know, a 200 quid mic and there was nothing fancy. It was logic with just the actual stock plugins and so on. Wow. But they had it mixed properly. It was mixed in a proper yeah. studio and it was mastered in a proper studio. So, I think people who are trying to get that, you know, take something like Bad Guy, which has got that amazing low end on it and stuff. I think, you you know, yeah. you, it, experience would be the thing that would enable you to do that on a cheap setup. So I think sometimes, you know, if you want to get that where your, your record's got to stand up against everything else out there, yeah. sometimes you will need to get some professionals involved or move it at some stage to a, an actual studio. Really just for it so you can hear properly. Um, but even yeah. again, like, you know, you look at studio monitors now, like what was available back then as home studio monitors versus now, you know, the quality yes. of now is incredible. So the, the only thing I think that holds people back and why they don't in this day and age with the the plugins we have and the DOWs we have and the quality of equipment we have, it really is just coming down to experience and mm. understanding EQ, for example, you know, because a lot of yeah. people will just, you know, won't know where to cut and pull things and yeah. shape stuff and frequencies smashing into each other um, and then yeah. over compressing things people just going mental with the compression <laughs> basically oh, yeah. you know and then just not having any dynamic room for anything to breathe and things to sit alongside each other and so on but could you make a record in a bedroom mm. absolutely like i don't know if you've heard that fetch the bowl cutters the last oh, few yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. No, done in garage yeah. band <laughs> i mean 
Yeah, but what makes it brilliant is she kind of took that Tom Waits approach of found sounds, finding something in the kitchen that makes a cool sound that becomes a percussive instrument on it and so on. So I think the other thing that where home recordings probably fall down a little bit is probably just down to laziness or everyone using the same sort of sounds um, because, you know, everyone uses the same whatever piano preset and every drum preset and so on. Yeah, so, same libraries. Same libraries, you know, same sound vendors for, across the whole board. But I think, again, imagination and experience are the two things that I think will that transform, uh, you know, your home recording into something special because yes. the equipment really doesn't hold you back at this stage. If we were to get our time machine and go back into the late 80s and 90s and someone said, here you go, here's a DAW from 2022, you'd be like, wow. <laughs> You yeah. can do what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can bend and shape the audio any way you want in real time. You'd be like, totally. no. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it sounds like we have amazing equipment, better than we've ever had before. There's more stuff that's actually charting and selling lots of records and reaching millions of listeners all over the world. It's recorded at home. But the big unlock is creativity, not being afraid to experiment and do something different. And Damien, you've seen like the whole range of studio spaces as a musician, as a composer. What's your take on the kind of quality that you can get from a home setup? Do you think bedroom recording could be the new normal? Oh, absolutely. The reason why it could be a new normal is because what's important is uh, the barrier prior to the last, I don't know how many years, has been getting the recording itself to sound good. You know, like Robbie said, there's so many different interfaces right now that are really high quality. It's really hard to get one that sounds bad, if you will. There's a lot of different options out there that allow you to get into the computer at really high sample rates at really high fidelity. Uh, And also there's a lot of really good uh, microphones and mic preamps that are really, really affordable that you can capture, you know, really great recordings at home with. I think probably the biggest challenge when it comes to capturing recordings at home is going to be the acoustic space that you're in. Mm. Um, obviously, you know, if you're in a, an apartment, you probably can't uh, mic your guitar amp. You know, in some of those cases, it is necessary to be in a physical space that will allow, you know, that doesn't have SPL constraints and whatnot. But oh, yeah. aside from just getting a great recording, you, it's easier now than ever. You don't have to do any advanced studies. Um, That said, though, I think that it's still important, and I don't believe this piece is going anywhere. I think it's it's still extremely important to know the basics, to know how EQ works, to know how compression works, and more importantly, uh, know how gain staging works. You know, and and how to properly gain stage. I also mix as well, in addition to compose, and I mix for other people. And sometimes you get, you know, you get recordings and you get sessions that you can tell you know, whomever recorded it does have an idea of how to gain stage. And then you can also tell the opposite. <laughs> you know, when you, you see a file and you see, you know, a drum kit and you know, you've got stuff all over the place. You've got phasing, you know, or you get a set of stems that um, you have things all over the place. you got some things sometimes clipping. And, and yeah. I can tell then that even though someone was able to afford the equipment and they have the creativity, they don't have that some of those very basic rites of passage, if you will, that you learn uh, by being inside of a studio. You know, you can't just set up a drum kit or a guitar amp and, and just go. There is a little bit of a care that needs to take place in there. So I think as long as people are or creators are getting some of those foundational elements right, the world is your oyster. The fact that, you know, people are recording in different spaces actually could be to the benefit. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. you can acoustically treat a room, but 
your room actually has a sound and that sound actually might be something that you like, you know? Yeah. But if you listen to uh, it, what, I don't know why this comes to mind, but the Red Hot Chili Peppers record, uh, Blood Sugar Sex Magic, that came out in the early 90s, there's uh, the song Breaking the Girl. There's a, during the bridge section, there's a really heavy percussion uh, piece that comes in. And if you ever go back and watch the recording, it's literally them recording in a kitchen, in a mansion on Laurel Canyon in LA, and they're recording pots and pans inside the kitchen. And it's that kind of thing that, you know, if those things make it onto recordings, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a great professionally tuned space for it to sound good. Absolutely. I think that's a great point about, you know, leveraging the room space if you can. Uh, one of my favorite producers of all time, Brian Eno, was uh, a great expo- is a great exponent of that, actually finding the right space and making that part of the recording. So that could be an unexpected benefit of uh, a home studio set up there. That's absolutely brilliant. Now, you both have an insider's view for sure of what's been happening with recording equipment and what's happening now. Um, what kind of trends have you been observing? Uh, what's the Harmon perspective, Damien, on where we're all going with recording equipment? I think that uh, like most people in this industry, I, you know, immersive audio is the is the go-to thing right now. That's the big thing. You know, you've got, you know, all these record labels, uh, some of the major record labels re-releasing old albums, having Atmos mixes and mixed and immersive. So that's actually where the industry is going. And I don't think that's a secret to anyone. So mm-hmm. from a recording perspective, capturing great recordings there's a classic vibe to that meaning you know it's one of those things where it's, it's kind of not broke so why fix it but then starting to kind of go into the direction of atmos uh you start to get outside of the recording piece and start to look at you know more post-production more mixing and more than just stereo 100 and we had a fantastic uh, previous episode of audio talks with three incredible immersive audio experts so if you want to know a bit more about that just search for audio talks immersive audio and uh, you're in for a treat and robbie what say you about trends in recording equipment more use of software or plugins or anything like that you know you've moved from having loads of physical equipment to a lot of virtual equipment as well as physical equipment yeah i, I literally work off a laptop these days i've got Huge storage space, but racks and racks and racks of outboard. Um, it's just a pure convenience. Like I, I you know, uh, on, on an interesting note as well on the immersive thing is is the democratization of that, which Apple just did by giving, essentially making the um, Dolby plugins as part of of the new version of Logic, which I thought was oh yeah very interesting. You know that that means then it's a level, incredibly level playing field, whereas as before. That would have been for the, you know, the super studios. But I think now the fact that a kid in the bedroom can also mix in immersive, you know, that's Amazing. incredible. But with plugins, yeah, plugins have come on leaps and bounds. The emulations are just incredible. You know, like we have a bead them against the actual units and you're you're never going to be 100% there because the, the reality is if you, even if you put five eleven seventy sixes up against each other, they, they'll all sound different. Because they'll all be made on different <laughs> years. The capacitors will be yeah. better than others. Some, you know, yeah. some have different power supplies. Some will have different transformers. And, but if you were to average it out across, you know, we, we tried all the various emulations from the, you know, all the, all the big plug-in manufacturers. And we yeah. tried the various 1176 hardware clones. And we tried also real 1176s. And yeah. it, it was so in the ballpark. You know, it, 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 <laughs> on blind tests, it really did fool a lot of people. Like a lot of people Amazing. going, that's the Rev D. And you're like, well, no, that's the emulation of the Rev D. <laughs> I suppose the only thing you don't get, which 
thing that I I do notice Waves put a button in to do it that does it that the button that adds the original hiss. Oh god, the 50, 50 hertz and the sixty hertz. Uh, yeah. So people kind of go, oh, but like the kind of warmed, and I, I think people misunderstand warmed. Really, what that is is just something is old and the capacitors are drying up a bit, so you're going to oh, lose yeah. a bit of top end, which translates right. as warm. You kind of like, warmth, a, no, yeah. that's actually inaccurate. <laughs> the newer one wow. is way more way more sonically accurate than the old one. But again, EQs are so good now. If you want to roll a little bit of 10 hertz off, it, it, it absolutely works in a very musical way. Well, I think before, mm. digital EQs just weren't musical. Okay. Um, yeah. Whereas now they've really, you know, a lot of companies have really cracked how to make plugins become musical and all the harmonic information doesn't get lost or, or is translated correctly. Um, so yeah. when the human ear hears it, it doesn't go, ooh, what's that? That doesn't, something's not ringing with me on that. But at this stage mm. now, plugins are just so developed and the nice. other thing is we are, i just got one of the new apple macbooks uh, and i was using the previous one i was using again another apple macbook and it was great i could mix on it but there was always i'd always had to bounce things or i used certain plugins you know, that were processor heavy by various different yeah. manufacturers i'd have to bounce and play to freeze them or do something but now yeah. you can literally run oh, i've mixed loads of things on this and i've never had to freeze a track and it, we're looking at again a laptop that was just over a thousand pounds. It wasn't a super duper mega build or anything. So where we're at now is that we have the power available to run those plugins effortlessly and they can be as DSP hungry as they need to be mm. without the machine falling over after two instances or something like that. So yeah. let's say, for example, you're mixing the, the next big, you know, U2 or Coldplay record. Those things are kind of mixed by, not just one person is involved in a mix, is mixed process. There's a, there's a council of people involved. So if you're constantly having to recall and someone goes, oh, the guitar is a bit quiet or the, you know, the hi-hat could be a bit brighter or could you do this and do that. There's so yeah. many revisions. If you were mixing that in hardware, it's just not doable, you know, because yeah. you have to, you'd have to put the studio on hold for days on end and use you know, hundreds of bits of chalk and, and taking pictures and all that. And that's just not realistic. So, so all those guys yeah. track through hardware, you know, they'll, they'll go right. to, you know, an original 67 and original 1073, sure. but. Yeah. The reality is when they're mixing is that 90% of mixing is done now in software because of just the, the, the whole ease of recall and all of the mixes retains the same. And you don't have that thing where, you know, drift uh, as you get with analog synths or analog bits of gear that you turn oh, sure. them on the next day and the analog synths slightly out of tune or, <laughs> yeah. or, you know, bits of old valve gear that just take three hours to warm up and they don't get to that optimum point until they're there. Yeah. Um, so you might have mixed through something like an original Fairchild, but it was at its sort of peak window. That's after one hour during the day. And after that, it's either not, not warm enough or it's, or it's too hot. So, um, it used to be that you compare which plugins were better, like, Hey, which, mm-hmm. which 1176 is the best. Now it's not even about that. You know, it, every one of them, like you said, has a sound and it's more about picking, you know, the sound that you can get and how you use those specific plugins. It's not so much about who has the best emulation because people are making new things, you know. I'm a fan of the, uh, obviously, the classic gear that's used to create all the stuff that we that got us into what we do. But I'm also a fan of the new stuff. And I don't think everything should be a emulation of something old, you know, because there are new things. It's kind of like uh, a 60s Telecaster, right? Well, that had a sound too, but the new Telecasters also have a sound, you know? It's kind of like that, you know, where there's so much nostalgia behind old school things that sometimes people get lost in that. And then like with the plugins, there's so many 
you know, and if you don't Mm -hmm. know how to use them, it doesn't really matter how great it emulates the thing, you know, it's like, (laughs) and I think that more so Robbie than myself, even like, you know, you're used to working with this gear physically. So, you know how you already knew how to use it when you saw a plugin, it was probably, you know, very easy for you to transition to, oh, that's the thing. And I know that button does this, you know, but a lot of people that haven't used it don't know that. And they get really wrapped up in the, in the names and the nostalgia without actually diving into the functionality and, you know, making the best out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, again, I I love plugins that don't have traditional interfaces, you know, that don't necessarily have to look like it was made in 1962 or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. They came up with an AI mixing thing, which I um, experimented with. And I was kind of like, oh, this is, this will be rubbish. <laughs> what nonsense. <You> know? <laughs> and I, I, I mixed the track with it. And it was about, it, it guessed me about 90%. I was like, <sighs> oh my goodness. <laughs> it was so good. Virtual Robbie. <laughs> it was like, Fantastic. It, no, because it learns what you do. He kind of, he kind of goes, oh, this, this guy likes free k lock, doesn't he? And this guy likes pulling 2K out. And this guy likes doing this. And this guy likes pulling 200 by 5DB. So it just copies Amazing. your moves, essentially. And um, that's wild. Yeah. And then you mix the track and you're like, damn, that's how damn. I mixed it. Damn you. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's incredible. So yeah, you can kind of catch up with your normals and then just add the kind of the secret sauce on top. Yeah, you know, or for guys who are doing production music, it's it's an absolute winner. Oh, yeah. You're like a one, two man team doing production music all day. You know what the demands of that are. You know, if, yeah. if, if it can be virtually mixed, as I say, to it being either ready as a very good demo or just needs, as you say, the last bit of secret sauce put on there, um, wow. you know, that, that's a, a major labor saver, you know. Totally, totally. So we got all these amazing plugins that are saving time and, that you know, it's it, unlike old analog gear, it doesn't depend what side of the bed they got out that morning. It just works. It's ready. It's you got total recall. It's, you know, huge convenience. Um, and maybe... We could draw a parallel between that and the world of record labels, because folks making music in their bedroom now, it used to be that they would, you know, depend very much on what side of bed the A&R man got out of. And if they <laughs> liked them that week, they see them as something viable within these broader trends. But now folks can just go directly and release their music for, through amazing platforms like TuneCore. They can build communities through platforms like Patreon. I mean, Robbie, what are you kind of seeing in the world of distribution and how people are actually putting their music out there themselves directly from their home studios? Yeah, I think the, the the thing that sort of really, really brought that self-distribution thing to light was the 360 deal. Because um, the 360 deal really only works. The 360 deal, um, for anyone who's listening, is essentially the, the record label owns everything. So back in the day, you, they'd own your records, but if you went on tour, you could sell your own T-shirts and badges and hats or whatever else. But now, essentially, the label owns a, a percentage of everything. Um, so I think with that, for, for artists who, you know, who just, you know, again, smaller fan base and so on, it just makes complete sense that the, the money goes into their pockets. So with, yeah. you know, um, Bandcamp and TuneCore and all those things, that they just make complete sense for independent artists. Sure. And the other thing I, I, we're seeing more of is the use of NFT and the blockchain for distribution as well. Wow. And especially around, um, like, there's a token called Opulus, which is a guy called Lee Parsons, which enables the fan base that own percentages of the royalties as well. Um, and the interest, and interesting thing about NFTs is that the, uh, the lifetime royalty can be built in for the artist. So if the track is sold on or synced, the artist will always get their percentage, no matter who it's sold on to, and that's fixed. So it's not a case wow. of the blockchain can turn around and go, oh, sorry, mate, uh, we don't have any money this month. Uh, it'll be written into the smart contract. So there's huge yeah. advantages around uh, now, now that the onboarding processes and and the uh, adoption of blockchain technologies and especially around NFTs, they've really, really changed. I think how 
music and, and how people experience music in the, in, the, in the future, whether it be ticketing or whether it be buying music or whether it be one-off special, you know, special editions of things, enabling fans to have access to metaverses and so on and so forth, where they can completely experience the artist in a completely new and different way. I can see that really, really working for fan bases where you have a an independent artist that has a very, very strong fan base. And then, you know, the, the fan base will totally buy into the exclusivity aspect of what they're doing. Mm, yeah, very good point. Absolutely. And for anyone who's listening who wants to take a bit more of a deeper dive into the world of NFTs and the metaverse, we have uh, episodes of audio talks about each of those and we'll link in the show notes. And so, you know, we've obviously just come through quite a unique time in human history. There's been the pandemic, there's been the lockdowns and, you know, we've discussed on the podcast before that music is a great comfort to people during the lockdown. It's it's also, um, there's been an explosion of creativity and folks who have maybe been on tour or they've been doing a lot of promo, they've suddenly been, you know, virtually locked down and they need to uh, express themselves. They've been writing albums under the lockdown and um, there's been a kind of positive silver lining to the cloud of the pandemic, if you like, in terms of creative work. Now, Damien, you have the kind of inside view from within Harmon. I mean, have you seen any changes that the pandemic has been accelerating in terms of what people are using, what kind of equipment they're interested in, what kind of stuff they're making at home? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think it's any secret that USB microphones, uh, obviously we, we've, as at Harmon, uh, with an AKG brand, we've released two uh, USB microphones during the pandemic. Yeah. And the timing was perfect. Um, people needed things that, uh, something that they can use at home that they didn't have to learn how to do or learn how to use per se, you know, with a, a typical signal chain, you're going to need at least a microphone, a preamp and an interface or, or a interface with a preamp. Yeah. Uh, well, a USB microphone takes that away and it opens up the palette of creative users to, you know, people that have no idea what sound is, what microphones are, what studio monitors are. And they honestly don't care and shouldn't care. <laughs> they yeah. just want, you know, they just want something that, uh, that they could use. And then, you know, I think just taking it away from any specific industry, you know, people are at home bored, you know, <laughs> yeah, trying to, yeah, yeah. spending more time with their family than they're probably used to, more time with themselves than they're probably used to. So yeah. a quiet mind is a creative mind in a lot of ways because, yeah. you know, when you kind of remove that clutter, you know, you go there. And if I'm someone who's been thinking about recording a podcast uh, for the last, you know, f- four or five years, but had no idea how where to start, if someone comes along and says, hey, if you spend 150 bucks on this microphone and plug this one cable into your computer, you can record a podcast. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah. that's a no brainer, you know, and yeah. when people start to explore that and realize how easy that is, that kind of introduces other you know, people to other parts of creativity. You know, what if they wanted to start producing? And they mm. find out, oh, I can get a copy of a, a really great production software for pretty cheap and a yeah. really cool uh, keyboard controller. And, you know, for under 500 bucks, now I can, you know, start tinkering around with things that I've been thinking about for five years. The barrier of entry is just is low. And, you know, products like, you know, our, specifically our AKG USB microphones are, you know, some of the perfect things to get people started because it just doesn't require a lot of brain power, if you will, you know, yeah. and then once you get into that, it's kind of like, you know, like Robbie mentioned earlier, when we started playing uh, music, it, you start to learn all these other, you know, how to mic a, a guitar amp and, you know, where that goes. And so the initial interest in recording 
opens the door to other avenues of creativity. And people yeah. discover that there's so much that they can do without physically stepping inside of a studio. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, to kind of prove the point, all three of us are actually using AKG Lyra mics at this we very are. moment to record the absolutely. audio the podcast, <laughs> which is lovely. And so, Robbie, coming over to yourself now, I see a lot of the stuff that you're mastering, folks like Drew Young, you know, some great artists, you're mixing, you're writing, you're, you're really uh, very prolific in terms of, you know, the music you release. But have there been any lockdown albums that you've really thought just totally nailed it? Uh, I really like the Nick Cave Warren Ellis one. Nice. Carnage. That's really, really good. Very atmospheric. Reminds me, you mentioned uh, Eno earlier and, uh, oh, yeah. and Eno's old collaborator, Danny Lenoir. Danny Lenoir, I'm totally obsessed with. And he was one of the, you know, again, pioneers of the whole home studio thing or recording in houses, you know, and right, whether it yes. be, you know, like as far back as things like the Unforgettable Four by U2, which, you know, they recorded yeah. in, in Slane Castle because yeah. they just didn't want to use a, a traditional space to do it. And his stuff always, again, it reminds me of that, has that kind of atmosphere to it, you know, and I think... The one brilliant thing about home recording and the lockdown and we, and we relate to lockdown is everyone had time on their hands. Yeah. You know, and if you're yeah. recording at home, you're not really looking at the clock at all, mm. you know, especially yeah. during lockdown, you know, cause it, it was, there was not much else to do apart from think about what you're going to have for dinner um, <laughs> or find ways of filling your hours otherwise. Um, so yeah, you know, there was so, so much content made during lockdown, whether it be records or yeah. whether it be, you know, um, spoken word stuff or whether it be video yeah, content. Yeah, yeah. The fact that technology is so available and technology just works now, you know, yeah. going back to the mics we're talking, talking about today, like it is a case of opening the box, plug in the cable and off you go. So, Robbie, you mentioned your magnificent obsession with Daniel Lenoir, and I, that's such a good obsession to have. He's an absolute genius. And, you know, he uses the space, he sets it up in the right way. He basically builds recording studios in houses uh, or spaces to record amazing acts. Yeah. He just rarely, rarely, rarely uses traditional studio spaces. Wow. Um, but, you know, you, you look at the artist he works with, it's Neil Young, it's U2, it's Bob Dylan, you know. Um, yeah. It's all about making those guys as comfortable as possible for the creative process, you know. Yeah. They don't really want to be in a place with grey carpets on the wall and the clock ticking away. So, <laughs> Yeah, um, expensive cappuccinos. No, it's, it's all <laughs> about capturing a kind of unique vibe and getting the space right. But, what, I mean, Robbie, you've helped a lot of people who've maybe got a record deal or, uh, you know, they've just decided they want to invest in their creative work and they want to have a good home setup. What are some of the pillars or like the basic principles that you tell the folks that you advise? Because you've done this a lot of times. Is there any specific bits of advice that you'd share with our listeners? Yeah, essentially only buy what you need um, and buy the best quality of what you can. Um, Very good. So rather than just filling the space up with, you know, loads of cheap microphones and four pairs of cheap speakers, just get one really good pair of speakers. Get, you know, as good a converter as you can. If you've got money left over, a mic pre, wonderful. Again, same with microphones. Mm. Um, You know, the days of just having blinking lights for the sake of having blinking lights are gone, you know? Um, Yeah. 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 So really, as good as a computer, you can really, because right now, all you know, the reality is not unless you're recording full band setups, which you're not going to do in a home setup, not unless you're in the middle of nowhere or something like that. But yeah. generally, you know, most people make their albums in their in their bedrooms in apartments or houses or wherever. You know, you've yeah. got to have the limitations of neighbours next door. So really just getting your monitoring as good as you can. If you can't 
you know, start hammering panels into the wall because of the rented apartment and so on. Um, there's loads of great room correction software out there for very little money now as well. Mm. So best pair of monitors you can get, some room correction software if you can, uh, and then as good as conversion as you can get, uh, really. And then you got, like, money left over, well, then you can get nice things like, you know, a nice mic pre or maybe a channel strip or a compressor or something like that. Mm. But the nice. reality is, as we said earlier about plugins, the, the, the plugins are, are, are so there at this stage that it's not yeah. an over-essential. And the other thing we're not battling with anymore either is hiss. Oh, yes. Know, if, if you remember Hiss back in the day. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Dolby C. Remember Dolby oh, C? Well. Yeah, there's all your top end gone. Forget about having any symbols. They're all gone now. Um, it's vintage. It's vintage. So we're not we're not battling with that, you know, trying to find out, getting rid of that. That's all gone. You yeah. know, like the, the the headroom on modern conversion is, is absolutely huge, you know. So, yeah. um, and again, as David was saying, just trying to get your head around gain staging. Really, that's mm-hmm. as important. Because really, what all you want to get is a really good, clean signal into your computer, and after that, you can do what you want. Yeah. Because you can't undirt. You know, if something goes in dirty and clipping and all that. You, yeah, I suppose you could use things like isotope to fix it, but it's not ideal because you're yeah. taking away a lot of the information. Um, but you can make something. You know, if you get something clean, you can make it as dirty as you want. After you can overdrive it or you know, bit crush it or whatever you want to do. If you really want to make things yeah. dirty or run it in parallel or whatever else, but. So really what you want to get is as good a clean signal into your computer as possible. And from there, you know, you can, you can bend and shape the sound. As we know, in any DAW now, you can bend it any way you want, you know, slow it down, speed yeah. it up, change the pitch. Audio is completely elastic at this stage, you know. It goes as far as your imagination goes, really. So, um, yeah, the, mm-hmm. the, the main thing I say is get as good a pair of speakers and a good, good a converter and as good a computer. And then whatever DAW works for you, because they're they're all slightly different, but they all do the same thing. But you know, mm. even with the stock plugins now, most DAWs you could happily make a record. That's so true. Yeah, you know, I think stock plugins are so underrated because you know a six band EQ is kind of a six band EQ, right? If <laughs> if you think you need a ten band EQ or whatever, like you know, they all kind of do the same thing. If you know how to use that, then you're fine. It doesn't really matter. You know, if you want some extra coloration or a specific EQ has a a modeled curve, that's one thing. But overall, like I think stock plugins are definitely underrated. Again, it goes back to uh, necessity being the mother of, of invention. You know, there are some rules, but overall, if you can get a great sound, you don't need a ton of stuff. And I, and I think people getting into it are just starting to record at home. They don't know that, you know, and I, I don't blame them because, you know, the, you know, a lot of companies really heavily market the different emulations and the this is and the that's. But the reality mm-hmm. is that, you know, if you get GarageBand or Logic Pro, you don't really have to buy, a, you know, at least starting out. Very, very little. Definitely not not against, you know, plug-in companies by any stretch. But if you can learn how to use the stock plugins and really make something shine with that, then getting additional, you know, plugins is only going to make it better. Absolutely. That's good. So, like, don't ignore the foundational ingredients, you know, your room. You don't need to get a ton of stuff. Just concentrate, be brilliant at the basics, get the best gear you can afford. And don't ignore those magnificent stock plugins, particularly with uh, DAWs like Logic Pro, which is just brilliant. And Damien, staying with yourself there, you know, obviously you've got the the JBL professional viewpoint. Say if somebody's listening and they're thinking, right, I'm going to sort myself out with a pair of studio monitors. Is there like a range? Are there any particular models you recommend for like a beginner, an enthusiast, and then, you know, somebody approaching the pro level? Where should they look? 
Yeah, so for us, our flagship studio monitors are going to be the uh, 3 Series Mark II. So we've got a 305, a 306, and a 308, mm-hmm. uh, as well as a 310 subwoofer. The 305s a pair, I believe you can get for you know sub 300 US dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, so extremely affordable. They sound amazing. Um, I have some sitting in front of me right now for obvious reasons. It's one of our uh, premier studio monitor lines, and they're you know essentially under five hundred dollars, and you just can't go wrong with them. You know they're wow. powered. You plug them in, uh, plug them into your interface, and you're good to go. Uh, when you start to approach some of the high, more high end needs, you're talking about uh, speakers that can handle higher SPL outputs. Mm-hmm. Um, that have, you know, a, a slightly different coverage patterns, uh, et cetera. So, you know, for that, we have the, the 705 and the 708s, which are going to be for different needs. You have your bedroom studios, which are geared for the three series type. And then a lot of large post-production facilities use our seven series monitors because they feature a, a compression driver in the horn, which is not something that any other studio monitor that I know of has. That's something oh. that you typically find on live sound speakers because, Live sound speakers need that that SPL. We have them in a studio monitor. So we, what we found is we've they've been really successful. Like in the post production houses, mm-hmm. uh, use them for you know for the Atmos mixes and, and uh, all the way down to stereo mixes. Nice. Okay, that's a, ni- a nice range there for the folks listening. That's absolutely brilliant. Thank you. And uh, back in the nineties, my home studio had like that cassette tape multi track unit. Had a computer with four megabytes of RAM that took half an hour to warm up. It all cost a small fortune. But for the folks listening today they are going to get so much more bang for their book. Um, so Damien, is, is there anything that you would kind of hint to or point out that's coming next from the Buffins at JBL, DBX, Harman, Studer, AKG, Lexico, and all that group of companies you work with? Is there any cool stuff coming up that the folks listening should know about? Uh, yes, there's some cool stuff coming up. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of the things I can't talk about. I will say that as a company, we're looking, what does the future hold? You know, obviously, most content is uh, coming out in various forms of immersive audio mixes and Atmos and whatnot. So I think from a consumer perspective and just what the market is doing, what the industry is doing is that, you know, people are consuming audio in more than stereo right now. You know, all of us talking right now came up in an era where stereo was just, that was all it was, you know, and now the consumption uh, is going towards consuming audio in immersive formats. So we want to stay ahead of that and make sure that we're creating products that are actually solving problems or meeting a need rather than just doing me too products that are just something to, to follow on the coattails of other vendors. Okay, that's good. That's given us an intriguing glimpse into the future without giving away any trade secrets. So well <laughs> answered there, sir. Brilliant. And uh, finally, I'd like to give you both a blank canvas. What piece of studio equipment does the world need right now? I'm going to start with yourself, Robbie. Yeah, because I was watching um, Rick Beato the other day and he was doing a, oh, a yeah. rundown of the top 20 on Spotify. Yeah. And he discovered that I think it was 16 of the songs had <laughs> the same four chords in oh. just in slightly different keys. So I think I would have a uh, a butt of some sort or a piece of gear of some sort that would add just maybe an extra couple of chords and maybe the odd middle eight Nakoda to, uh, to the current top 20. Genius idea, Robbie. Turn everything into Steely Dan. What do you mean it doesn't sound like Steely Dan? <laughs> wow. <laughs> yes, please. Oh, yeah. We had, we had uh, the niece bent the uh, the studio engineer from Asia on the podcast on a previous episode. She was just fantastic. Man. Wow. You know, to, be, to be a fly on that wall. Uh, and Damien, coming over to yourself. So we've got our kind of magical chord button or plug-in from Robbie there. Yeah. Uh, what are you going <laughs> to add to the studio? 
Ooh, oh, you know, I think every studio needs a, a USB microphone. You know, as far as equipment is concerned, I'm a big fan of people taking the time and just learning how to use very simple tools, you know, compression, yeah. EQ, et cetera. I think that's what's going to really improve uh, the overall quality of what we hear coming out of people's home studios because, you know, everyone can't afford to, to you know, spend $50,000 treating a room you know, doing an acoustic treatment on a room. So and then also everyone can't afford to pay, you know, a thousand dollars for a channel strip that they're going to use, you know, only to, to, to record, you know, again, like podcasts and, and, and things like that. So I think yeah. one would be a USB microphone Two, it, it really isn't a piece of equipment, but just, you know, uh, uh, users going back to learning what the tools are and how to use them, you know, the basic functions of compression, limiting, gain staging, and EQ. I think that would really help because, you know, back to kind of rewinding a little bit, creators are able to release their music and curate their own audiences, right? So, you know, a label isn't necessary in a lot of ways. I mean, obviously there's a benefit to that, but you can still be a a creator and curate your audience. And if you're a live act, you can still go gig and and not do terrible. (laughs) You know, some of the current acts that I'm listening to are not acts that are on major labels that you would ever hear on uh, terrestrial radio. These are a lot, but they're able to uh, go to a large city and sell out the largest venue or the largest venues in large cities. You know, that's, that says something that says something about the power of curation and about, you know, understanding that being inside of a home or an apartment or whatnot is not the ceiling of creativity. You can do whatever you want. Nice. Nice. I like it. So, uh, you know, it sounds like one of the most important pieces of equipment is actually what's between your ears. Absolutely. Creativity is king. Most definitely. A Tom Waits plugin. Oh, mate, now you're talking. (laughs) Yes, please. Take my money. Take my money. Wonderful. We've come to the end and I've got one more question for each of you. And it's one that we ask all of our VIP guests. And that is to choose a track for our very special Audio Talks title playlist. So it can be one of your own tracks, one you used to calibrate your setup or just something that rocks your world. And we're going to start with yourself, Robbie. What track are you going to stick on our title playlist? Since I was harping on about Daniel Lenoir, I'm going to go with Slow Giving by Daniel Lenoir. Immense. Wow. What I love about it is that you can hear... Um, the amps buzzing and stuff. Just you can hear them just very gently dis- distorting and moving. When you know the louder he plays, because he he plays the guitar. I've never, if you ever watched him play guitar, he plays it in a very odd, unique, very dynamic sort of way. You know, so um, where he plays from this incredibly gentle, barely touching into the really attacking, and, and you can really hear the amp reacting to his playing. Wow. And you can hear the room and everything. So it's you can hear all the, the, the kind of the imperfections of what makes it really interesting because it's you hear things that you don't normally hear on a, a record per se. So Nice. I love it. I'm absolutely going to have a proper listen to that on my favourite AKG headphones a bit later. <laughs> and and Damien, Damien, what say you? What track are you going to add to our title playlist? Oh, man. Um, there's so many. I'm going to give you one that I've been listening to probably uh, for the last little year or so here that comes up on my playlist often. And it's a, a song by an artist named St. Vincent, who's an oh. incredible guitar player. She's amazing. And uh, she has a new song, well, relatively new song called Pay Your Way in Pain. Oh, fantastic. In keeping with the theme of the podcast, I'm going to choose a track that was recorded um, by a gentleman called Justin Vernon in his dad's cabin in Wisconsin. Uh, he's also known as Bonnie Verde. The track is Restacks from the album For Emma Forever Ago. 
So thank you so much for joining us on Audio Talks presented by Harmon. Damien Curry. Thank you so much, guys. You guys are awesome. Appreciate it. <laughs> Back at you. And Robbie Dunn. Thanks so much. I really enjoyed that. That was, a, that was a wonderful chat. Awesome. Back at you both. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you for joining us. It's been uh, wonderful. Listeners, don't forget to subscribe, comment and share with your friends and family. If you're feeling like doing Audio Talks a solid, get yourself over to wherever you get your podcasts, like Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and leave a nice review for us. Also, for more exclusive content, some behind-the-scenes goodies, and maybe even some competitions, connect with us on Instagram. You can find us at Audio Talks Podcast. We'll be back soon for some more fascinating Audio Talks. See you next time.